Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Service comes naturally to Warren Christopher. The retired Army Lieutenant Colonel hails from Holy Trinity, Alabama, and first enlisted after graduating from high school in Columbus, Georgia in 1986. As an enlisted soldier, he was awarded the Green to Gold Scholarship, attended and later graduated from Purdue University. He served honorably and with distinction for more than two decades before his retirement, with assignments in Macedonia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, and the Philippines. Warren is a proven leader. As a former U.S. officer with a history of successfully leading and directing global operations and programs, and activities of over 2,200 senior staff personnel. Warren is a consummate professional who understands doing what is right for his country and his community. Throughout his career, he has been lauded for his dynamic abilities to supervise, lead, and direct military and senior federal contract employees, manage a variety of strategic planning projects, 
an emergency management environment, and develop and implement continuity of operations programs. Warren has commanded with distinction multiple overseas military deployments, managing and directing all facets of administrative logistic operations for 2,200-plus joint and combined military and civilian personnel, and setting conditions for units to achieve individual and collective strategic partnership goals. In addition, he volunteers in the community as a board member on Maryland's Business Roundtable for Education, a big brother for Big Brothers Sisters of the National Capital Region, president of his community's Homeowners Association, board member of the National Black Justice Coalition, and membership chair of the National Association of Black Veterans, Prince George's County. Finally, Warren has orchestrated and facilitated numerous high-profile engagements and events and fostered relationships and built coalitions with senior political and military officials during numerous White House and Capitol Hill events and during congressional delegation oversight visits. Warren Christopher is no stranger to tough, demanding, and complex work. Warren also has a master's degree of military science, strategy, and policy from the Marine Corps University in Quantico, Virginia. His military awards include the Legion of Merit Meritus Service Award, the Joint Service Commendation Medal, the Army Commendation Medal, the Army Achievement Medal, and the United Nations Medal. Literally, I could go on and on and on, but let's hear it from the man himself. Warren Christopher, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hi, good evening, Michael, and to all of your listeners. Thank you so very much for allowing me to come on to your show tonight and just share with you about my vision of leadership and my passion as a servant leader to represent Maryland's 4th Congressional District in the House of Representatives of our United States of America. Well, well, Warren, you know, that's just the the beginning. (laughs) You know, there is so much to your story, and and we're going to talk about that as well. But, you know, you've had quite the career, and um, just tell us a little bit about the man behind the campaign. Um, Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, um, you know, some of your accomplishments along the way, and what, what gave you that insight and that drive to be able to accomplish all the things that you've accomplished? Well, I would just tell you, first and foremost, uh, Michael, I am a strong man of faith, and I would just mm-hmm. tell you, I would not be uh, where I am today if it was not for the grace and the mercy and the love of God. So I give God all the honor and the glory uh, for my uh, success or anything that he has blessed me uh, with um, but I will just tell you, I learned early on in life about choices, and I learned mm-hmm. early on in life about um, making decisions. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, I hail from Holy Trinity, Alabama. I was born uh, at the hands of my young grandmother. My grandmother delivered me uh, in a small little wooden house in, uh, in, in Holy Trinity, Alabama. Uh, uh, she did this... Um, you know, from her eldest daughter uh, of 13 children. Um, my, my grandmother delivered me, Michael, and, and, and she uh, accounts from her. She shared with me, you know, Chris, uh, as my family affectionately refers to me as, she says, you know, no one would have given a nickel for your life but mm. for God and but for my grandmother, Michael, that I credit uh, with uh, much of my success and really my foundation. My grandmother helped me live 
And what I mean by that very specifically, I was born severely premature. And mm. I was born in a situation to where, you know, I did not get to live with my mother like the, her other six children did. You know, but mm. my grandmother took care of me. She helped that little baby Chris live. And when I became old enough to understand, she said to me, she said, son, you have some choices to make now. You have to understand that these are the circumstances. Now, what are you going to do about it? What's the so what? And she continued to tell me that, you know, the so what question that you have to ask yourself is the fact that you did not get chosen by your mother or you didn't get to live with your mother like your other siblings, you know, the so what question is, so what are you going to do about it, Chris? And so she told me that, you know, you can choose to survive or you can choose to survive and thrive. And I will just tell you, Michael, that's exactly what I did. I chose to not wallow in my pity. I chose a path that I could survive and thrive. And that's what I did there in Alabama growing up on that farm uh, with my grandmother. She owned the farm there in uh, Holy Trinity, Alabama. She taught me a lot about life. She taught me a lot about dignity and respect. She Mm. taught me a lot about service and servant leadership and humility. And, and, and tell us about some of those life lessons, Warren. You know, you know, I, I hear from so many great men the impact that, and the wisdom shared from a grandmother, that older person that that brought them up. And um, let's talk about also the fact that you know, not being able to grow up with your other siblings. Where did that put you in your mindset? Is, is that part of that driving? influence and that decision that you made so long ago to, um, you know, do far better for yourself than others would think? Well, I was just tell you, the drive came, Michael, and uh, the fact that these were my experiences, and I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that I prepared myself for people to stand on my shoulders because I recognized early on that I was clearly standing on my grandmother's shoulders, mm. so... I had I learned that I had a commitment. I had an obligation to give back. I went through life with this mantra, each one reach one, teach one. And mm-hmm. so I'll just tell you, that drive of not being with my siblings, what it did for me was it caused me to decide that I was going to achieve against all odds. It caused me to have an understanding and a desire that no matter what comes, I am going to stand. My grandmother used to tell me, Michael, she said, son, you either stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And so I developed early on that I was going to be a servant leader for the people of God. I was going to be a servant leader in my community, and I was going to make sure that when I crossed someone's path that may have had a similar experience as I did, that I was going to be the stand in the gap to make sure that they were able to continue on with their lives, that somebody's doubt would not determine their destination or their circumstances was not going to be, you know, the end of the outcome for their lives. And so that's what I set out to do. And I was just telling you, uh, I've had an amazing life, and it was it's really through the grace and honor of God, and, and it's really uh, it's because of the foundation that my grandmother gave me, which is really dignity and respect and treat people how they ought to be treated. 
Yeah, and then from those humble beginnings as well, you sort of learn responsibility at a very young age as well because you have to help out um, and you have to take on quite a bit as as a young person when you when you live with someone who is up in age as well. So um, tell us about some of the lessons of responsibility you learned at, at an early age. Well, I was just telling you, I developed a, a very, very strong work ethic uh, early mm. on uh, because, if, as you might imagine, um, being on a farm, uh, there's much uh, work in the vineyard. And so, you know, there was uh, many, many early mornings and a number of late nights. And so when I joined the military, I didn't really have to make an adjustment because I had, you know, lived that life of discipline and I have lived that life of organization and of structure and of mm. respect uh, most of my life, you know, thanks uh, to my grandmother. And so, you know, just you know, assisting my grandmother with cooking, you know, preparing for huge Sunday meals of the whole family, you know, working on the farm, you know, harvesting uh, harvesting crops, you know, just all of those kind of things, I, you know, helping my grandmother to pay the bills, you know, uh, going to the market to deliver, um, you know, her products. You know, I learned a lot early on about financial management. I learned a lot early mm. on about about discipline and about responsibility and accountability, that there were consequences for your actions. And that goes mm. back Mike, to my so what question of, this is what happens, so what are you going to do about it? I don't know you need to understand that, you know, you've got choices, and your choices have consequences. Hmm. Now, and, and that's really a great life lesson, and I can see how that has resonated throughout your career, um, understanding that you have a role to play and, you know, being responsible and doing a good job, as well as having the organizational skills that you would need to be able to accomplish some of the tasks that you've, you know, implemented as well. So tell us a little bit about your career when you, you know, your college as well as then your entry into the military. Thank, thank you, Michael. Before I do that, you know, the greatest responsibility uh, that I have ever been afforded the opportunity uh, is uh, to be a dad. I am a, yeah. uh, a single dad of uh, two daughters, Ashley and Brittany, uh, mm-hmm. who are uh, 18 and 27, respectively. And so that was really the first, you know, uh, charge that I had, if you will, on a very personal level is mm-hmm. to reflect back on my childhood to say, you know, I had this experience. Now I am going to learn from those experiences and make sure that my two daughters had the, you know, the, the parenting, they had the discipline, and many of those things that my grandmother taught me uh, to make sure that I instilled that in my two daughters. So that was really, that is the greatest honor that I enjoy today. Equal to that is my experiences um, that I've had in, in both the military and in civil service. You know, Michael, I went to, I had the great fortune of enlisting into the Army uh, pretty much right out of high school and, and out of uh, doing some uh, some um, pre-college work. But I enlisted into the Army, and then the Army recognized the fact that, you know, I had uh, a tremendous amount of leadership potential. I was awarded a scholarship to attend Purdue University. This was in West Lafayette, Indiana. I would just tell you, Michael, I did not know a soul in Indiana when I picked uh, or when I selected to attend Purdue. Uh, in 87, 88, 89, uh, those were some very, very uh, challenging years 
uh, in West Lafayette, Indiana. There are still many people that had not grasped um, the fact that, um, you know, race relations were here or, or better situation of race relations were here to stay. And so I endured uh, or witnessed a number of, you know, very uncomfortable um, events uh, being at Purdue. But I'll just tell you, I got to Purdue, I arrived at Purdue, and, uh, and I immediately became involved in the student senate. I uh, was able to um, be the president of my uh, university student senate. Uh, I was able to uh, go immediately and become a, uh, a resident assistant responsible for um, a one half of a dorm at uh, Purdue University there in Tarkington Hall. And, uh, and then also uh, was able to be uh, the second in command of my uh, student ROTC battalion at Purdue University. And so those were some tremendous opportunities for me in an environment that didn't necessarily embrace uh, African-Americans, but I was able to go uh, attend Purdue and really demonstrate a level of conduct and performance that caused me uh, to uh, excel and impact the lives of others, people that had not ever had any interactions or had been led by uh, a black man. I was able mm. to do that and do it very, very effectively. Wow. And, and how did you find that? Um, how were you able to be so effective? Because I, I know that was met with some resistance. Tell, tell us how you, um, you dealt with some of that, um, some of the hurdles you may have um, found in some of the resistance. You know, it is so important. And I will just tell you, I've, 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 uh, this has been a challenge even for me, Michael. But when you're leading or when you're working with other people, whether it's a personal relationship or whether it's a professional relationship, Self-awareness is so very important. And so, you know, I learned, again, from my early childhood that, you know, I needed to be the change that I wanted to see. And so that being said, you know, I, at Purdue, there was a lot of challenges. I had um, people to say things that weren't so kind or wasn't very nice or that was just absolutely downright racist. But I did not react to you know, you know, I did not meet ignorance with ignorance. You know, mm-hmm. I continued to, you know, stay the course and remember, you know, the purpose uh, of my being at Purdue, and that was to graduate and to receive my commission in the United States Army. I am inspired by Jackie Robinson, who endured far greater challenges than I. And I always think about Jackie Robinson and what he endured. And so when I think about my ancestors, and I think about the people that came before me, you know, frankly, Michael, you know, my challenges are relatively, you know, minuscule compared to the challenges of the folks who came before me. And I always remember that. And so I, I, I just, I move along. I move along and with my eye on the prize, remembering that there are people that are standing on my shoulders and I am standing on people's shoulders I want to make sure that my efforts are not in vain for those people that have come before me, and I want uh, I have a strong passion and desire to be the model of conduct and performance for those mm. folks that are coming behind me. And that is critical in the black community, particularly amongst our young black males. You know, people don't do what you say. They do what they see. People be what they see. And so the best thing that I can do I don't get it right every day, 
but I work very, very hard at being the change that I want to see. Mm. Wow. And, and, and it's amazing to have that attitude of service and, and have a laser focus on leadership. Um, it, it seems in every step you've ever taken, every advancement you've made in your career, and you always sought out leadership roles and, um, and were able to find them and then excel and then lead. And it's just an amazing um, to be able to find yourself there and to stay there consistently throughout a, a number of different types of um, environments. Well, I would just tell you, you know, I, I, I am confident that I understood early on God's purpose for my life. Mm-hmm. You see, Michael, I don't really approach my life from the standpoint that it's about me. You know, I have a purpose in life, and my purpose is to be a blessing or have an impact on another's life. Mm. You know, wouldn't it be a shame if we lived our entire lives without seeing that we could ever that we ever had an impact or at least a positive one on someone else's life? And so, you know, that being said, leadership is so critical in our lives, it's critical in our government, it's critical in our homes, it's critical in our communities. And so I understand the value and the importance of leadership. And that's why I continue to seek opportunities to be a strong leader. Because I'll just tell you, you know, some may debate or disagree with me, but we have a lack of leadership in our country and in our communities. And I'll just tell you, it is, you know, it is the result of a number of the many issues that we face, uh, you know, in our country. You know, you know I'm running for Congress, uh, Michael, and I'll just tell you, leadership is the equalizer when you talk about, you know, constituent services or you talk about, you know, delivering resources, federal resources for a community that has great needs and their great challenges, along with many opportunities. It's the equalizer when you're representing someone, ensuring that, you know, when it's time for legislation that you make sure that there's leadership at the table. Because the impact of leadership, man, I'll just tell you, the difference between a decisive leader and, you know, an everyday manager, there are some, you know, tremendous differences there. And and so that's why, you know, in many cases, I have sought out leadership opportunities to have an impact on issues and on uh, communities and on, and most importantly on people's lives. Tell us a little bit about your your more personal commitment too. Um, your your work with the the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization. Tell us about that and um, what led you to that. What was your mindset? What did you want to accomplish? What type of impact did you want to have on a young person to be able to to help them to grow? I was just telling you that is a that is just an absolute you know very very strong uh, passion that I have, and 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 it goes back you know, to my own early childhood education or my own early childhood experiences. You know, our, you know, young people, uh, in many cases, Michael, don't have either a father in in the home or a mother in the home. Many uh, of the children, uh, of the more than 100 children uh, that I've mentored through either Concerned Black Men or either through Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America, uh, many of them come from single 
mom uh, households. And I was just so the impact that I want to have is for them to understand that this is an example of a black man. This is an example of a leader. This is an example of a father and what fathers do. This is an example of a responsible gentleman that brings results. And so I'll just tell you, in our community where we have a number of our young people involved one way or the other in the penal system, where we have, you know, serious education challenges, where we have, you know, real concerns with financial literacy, that it really takes, you know, a committed person, you know, man or woman, to make sure that we are bringing our children along, that they have an example, that they get to be what they see. And so, you know, there are opportunities, whether it is in, you know, in, in negative opportunities, whether it is in, you know, impoverished or, or drug-infested uh, communities, or there are positive examples, you know. And, and so I want to be one of those positive examples. I strive to be one of those positive examples for our youth uh, so they can understand that, you know, their circumstances uh, don't have to determine uh, the outcome of their lives. You know, I want them to understand that they can be what they want to be. If they are committed, if they're determined, and that they're disciplined to go uh, the extra mile and put in the energy, put in the work. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have um, a history of service in and it's embedded in your resume as well as um, your accomplishments. Um, tell us how some of the things that you've experienced is on a, a, a real grassroots level, and um, some of these could relate to the position that you hope to attain as well in your candidacy. Tell us about um, how you think that you can make a difference. Well, you know, the, again, it goes back to leadership, Michael. I know that I can make a difference because leadership, relationships, and partnerships, they are the equalizer in delivering good government. And so I have an extensive amount of public service, not just nationally but internationally, in the, you know, you know, in the name of our government, representing our government both nationally and internationally, and, and specifically uh, for the longest period of time, uh, our U.S. military, uh, being, you know, fortunate to wear the uniform of an American soldier. You know, that is, uh, has been just uh, tremendous. And, and so I'll just tell you, you know, working and building coalitions, you know, managing multi-million dollar budgets and understanding, you know, the responsibility and the accountability of, you know, um, business and business enterprise, mm -hmm. you know, leading our American troops into harm's way and under my leadership, bringing them all home alive, you know, raising two beautiful young and respectful uh, and respectable young ladies who are thriving today uh, and on a college campus and uh, a young uh, professional woman uh, in her uh, own hair um, business. You know, those are the kind of qualities. Being a man of character, you know, standing for something, you know, mm -hmm. you know, bringing 
about real interpersonal skills, real, you know, the ability uh, and a history of building real change, building coalitions. You know, those are critical, I believe, critical characteristics of being at the table, especially in a time like this, being able to work in very diverse uh, communities, but still delivering real tangible results. You know, Michael, out in the district that I am seeking to be the representative, you know, you know, I just want to share this with you. That district, Maryland's fourth congressional district, which includes Prince George's and Anne Arundel County, Prince George's County has a reputation around the country, and in some cases in many parts of the world, as the most affluent African American county in the entire country. But mm-hmm. I'll just tell you also, on the other hand, we have, you know, children that are in a school system that rank second from the bottom in the country in the achievement gap. And this is in a state where the state school system is recognized as the number one school system in the country. You know, so, you know, you look at that, you, 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 you pay attention to that. You pay attention to the, the fact that we have in Prince George's County, as an example, more than 60% of our young people that are in, in schools that are part of a special education uh, curriculum. You know, but they have few technical, uh, technological uh, resources in their classrooms. You know, we have a situation where we have over 800 homeless veterans. We have a situation where we've lost over 5,000 jobs. But I will just tell you, of the 435 congressional districts, we ranked 412. That's 23 from the bottom in Mm. the amount of federal dollars that are brought back to this most affluent African-American county and district in the country. Something is wrong with that. And so when you start to peel back the onion, you have to understand and, and, and go to the source. The source is leadership or lack thereof. The source is a lack of relationships and partnerships. You know, I don't want to put a national park on the moon. You know what Warren Christopher, Congressman Warren Christopher will do? Warren, Congressman Warren Christopher will work with state and local officials, work with the two county executives to make sure that that there is a computer in every classroom, that there are behavioral specialists uh, and mental hygiene specialists in every school. That's what Warren Christopher would want to do. You know, I don't think that putting a national park on the moon is a priority for the 4th Congressional District, and frankly, I don't believe that it's a priority for the country. When our children have the technological resources, the technology on their desks, like computers, they can visit the moon right from their computers. And more importantly, they can go beyond the moon and they can explore the entire galaxy, the entire world. And so that's what I want to do. And it takes leadership to do that. It takes partnerships and relationships. And I just thank God that he has prepared me for a time such as this through my many experiences, through my own personal life story, to understand the needs of a community that has been historically underserved and underrepresented. Wow. You know, it's really interesting when you when you sort of lock in and you find God's will and purpose for you, how your life accelerates in that direction and how 
I can see from your history over and over and over again, you've been really doing the same thing. You've been leading in various capacities in each and every step you've taken. And um, it's interesting to see this next step. And, and, and we know already what type of leader you would be based on your past. And um, it's just amazing to see someone, and I've never met anyone like you. Um, when, when I first met you, I, I just I saw your charisma, and I knew you would be a great guest. But then I did my research and found out a little bit more about your story, which was extremely fascinating. And I really wanted to, just like you said, peel back the layers and discover who is this person who would want to devote and dedicate their lives to service. And um, and you saying that this is what you feel that God has for you is uh, it just rings a bell. It just you know makes it all perfectly clear. And um, you know I, I well, can't I endorse you. a candidate, but <laughs> go right ahead. I was just wanted to make my statement that I can't endorse a candidate. Now I am in Virginia. I'm not in PG County or in Maryland whatsoever. So, but I that's my my personal take on what I get from you and what I've heard thus far. Well, I was just tell you, Michael, you know, I am very, very passionate about servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And when I think, you know, when I really think about the very act of God, you know, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when I think about the act of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, then who am I not to pick up a mop and a broom? You know, I just I just see that as it's my obligation. It's the price that comes along with living on earth. But more specifically, though, to my community, where there's so many woes and ills within the African-American community, I will just tell you, I am excited about, you know, the energy and the unity amongst, you know, Latino Americans. I'm excited about the energy amongst a number of ethnic groups. I want to use you know, my leadership experience to bring unity to the African-American community to help us deal with the many issues that we face, whether it is, you know, a disproportionate number of our black men being involved in the penal system, whether it is, you know, uh, a lack of resources for our education system, you Mm -hmm. know, to ensure that we're getting our fair share of federal resources to deal with you know, to create jobs and, you know, light rail infrastructure and to modernize our schools to make sure our children have the best resources available for them to be in an environment where they can learn, grow, and prosper. That is so keenly important. And so I'll just tell you, Michael, this is not about Warren Christopher at all, and it's not about my opponent. But what it is about is it's about the seniors that are in our congressional district that don't have the basic social services to live their golden years with dignity and respect. You know, Mm -hmm. do you know that many of our seniors, you know, live off of, you know, 15 to not more than $70 a month of public uh, food assistance? You know, they, Mm -hmm. uh, they suffer tremendously from, you know, real nutritional programs or just basic, you know, home health care aids or, you know, there there's so many issues that, you know, our seniors face. I want to fight to ensure that our seniors have a voice at the table. And it's not just rhetoric, but I am delivering for our seniors. That's my mm-hmm. commitment. Because mm-hmm. those are the folks 
whose shoulders I am standing on. And mm-hmm. I have an obligation to ensure that my shoulders are strong enough for those that are coming behind me. Um, they, too, have a shoulder to stand on. As I said to you earlier, Michael, people be what they see. And in our community with our young you know, people, men and women, I think it is critical that we have examples that they can look to and say, hey, look, wow, I want to be like this person. You know, when I was a mentor to young boys, um, you know, in both Maryland, D.C., and uh, well, most of Maryland and, and, and Washington, D.C., you know, I had, little, I had little boys that had never seen, you know, a black man in a suit. You know, I just mm, think that that's yeah. shameful. I, I just think that it's shameful. You know, I am so excited that I could demonstrate leadership in my home amongst, you know, with my two daughters. You know, who, you know, people talk about, you know, wow, they want to give Warren a pat on the back for being a single dad and raising his two daughters. I don't deserve any more of a pat on the back than their mother, uh, who is a, a very close friend of mine. Uh, we were married, uh, and when we uh, went our separate ways, you know, I, we both thought it was in the best interest of our children that I be the custodial parent. We did that, and we moved forward. And so I would just tell you, I've been dealing with, you know, women issues for the last 27 years, uh, which mm-hmm. is the age of my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so in saying that, you know, women's issues are no stranger to me. I, t- I will fight to ensure that our women have equal pay for equal work. I will also fight and be a strong advocate for our women in the military who experience military sexual trauma. That mm-hmm. must be a situation where we have a zero tolerance when it comes to, you know, anyone encroaching upon, you know, the rights or the space of our women serving in our military. I want to make sure that women have the opportunity and the doors open for them to choose whatever job they want to do, to include, if they so choose, serving in combat in our nation's military. I feel very, very strongly about uh, being, you know, a bold leader when it comes to women issues, to include ensuring that I put my money where my mouth is and, and, and reducing you know, domestic violence. And our again, in Prince George's County, we have the highest rates of domestic violence than any other county in the, in, in the state of Maryland. I think that that is unacceptable. But we have people, you know, spewing a lot of rhetoric about what they're doing. But I will just tell you, it doesn't show up in, in the statistics. It doesn't, certainly doesn't show up in, in, the, uh, in the community. And so it goes back to leadership. Leadership, leadership, leadership. I just believe in it because I know the results of leadership. Leadership well, keeps let's talk men and women alive on the battlefield. Let's talk about two of the things that you did bring up, though. Um, you know, women going through uh, abuse in the military and being sexually violated as well as domestic violence. How, how do you reach out, especially when we talk about military? For a lot of people... It's hard for us to sort of visualize how you correct a problem within a structured um, society that is separate from our own. Um, tell us how, how do you how do you go about making people accountable, and how do you change 
the, the system because the system allowed these things to take place. How do you change that from when you start from the bottom up or the top down? I mean, I have no idea. How do you actively and effectively make that change? Well, I would just tell you, uh, Michael, and I really believe this, and otherwise I would not say it. I believe that our military, and, uh, and I know very personally that our Army has been very, very aggressive about correcting, uh, you know, those situations within our ranks. The way that you do it, Michael, is, you know, you hold commanders accountable. You hold them accountable, and those are circumstances where you must have a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to, you know, uh, encroaching or violating, you know, our women or anyone for that matter, uh, to include men in our military. You know, that must be a zero-tolerance game, a zero-sum game. It, it must be. And then when it does happen, Michael, you have to prosecute the issue to the greatest extent of the law mm. to ensure that you're sending the message that this will not be tolerated. And should you engage in such a, an event, the consequences are so stiff that, you know, you would not want to deal with the burdens uh, of, of that situation. That's how I believe that you begin to, you know, you correct the behavior that's already. But really, you know, you really have to then go back from a very strategic perspective. You have to get to the root cause of the issue. You have to understand root cause analysis. And then mm -hmm. once you do that, then you train, you reinforce that training, and you train again to make sure that everybody in the organization Everyone, every man, every woman, every leader, every sergeant, everyone in the ranks, every civilian, understand the standard and you measure against the standard and you hold people accountable relentlessly. You know, mm. that, and the reason that it is so critical in that environment, in a military environment, because leaders in the military are responsible for taking American sons and daughters into harm's way. And we must, to the greatest extent we can, after we've ensured that they have been well-trained and well-resourced, it's our solemn obligation as leaders to bring them home alive. When, and, and, and so to do that, you've got to make sure that they're disciplined. And you have to have structured organization in those military units. So, you know, I don't want to go on about it, but it really comes down to training. You know, it comes down to awareness. But most importantly, accountability, strict accountability of our leaders in the military and, and make sure that everyone understands that this is a zero-sum game and these are the stiff consequences of violating on the standard. And the next part of my question, there's an explosion now of domestic violence, and, and it's, you know, it's out in our streets. It's no longer just in the home. We hear about it happening on jobs um, and shopping malls. It's happening everywhere. And um, this is something that just seems to be out of control. Um, do you see a real source for this? Or and, and if so, I mean, what is the solution? How can we ring this in? How can we find a way to actively discover um, domestic violence before it gets out of hand and do something about it? You know, we spoke earlier about mentoring and coaching, Michael. Uh, I, I was just challenged, you know, uh, 
all of our uh, all of our you know brothers and sisters uh, to go out and be a mentor. You know, being a mentor to our young folks is so hugely important. Because remember, I spoke about you know people be what they see. Well, I'll mm-hmm. just tell you, Michael, I understood that the way I treated Ashley and Brittany's mom, Alisa, the way I treated her, I was, in fact, indirectly teaching my daughters what to accept from, you know, the man that they may marry one day. And so I understood that. But that is because I came from an environment where my grandmother imparted those that kind of character and that, that, those lessons uh, and, and so did my grandfather, my my mother's, uh, my grandmother's uh, husband. You know, I understood that. But you know, everybody don't have that uh, benefit of having uh, that kind of family structure around. So what happens is, you know, the cycle, you know, the cycle continues to repeat itself. You know, well, you know, my mother, you know, was pregnant uh, early, so you know, it worked for mom, so it'll work for me. You know, our boys, they see, well, my dad, you know, they may call it, you know, they kept my mom in check by, you know, being involved in domestic violence. Those are not the right approaches. It's about educating and about mentoring. It's about, you know, self-awareness. And it's about ensuring that our, you know, that we are dealing with the mental health and the behavioral health issues of our society. And I was just telling you, I don't think that we're doing that very well. Very, very, you know, frankly, you know, in the military, many, many of our troops and their families are returning uh, from uh, war. They are facing issues like post-traumatic stress syndrome. They're facing issues like, you know, traumatic brain injury. And we have a system, we have a, a veterans administration system that has not necessarily caught up with, you know, being able to deliver responsive medical treatment in the area of behavioral health and mental health uh, hygiene. Well, I'll just tell you, it's really no different uh, in our schools and and amongst our young people. So, Michael, we have to get, again, back to the root cause of the issue. Why are our children responding this way? I'll I'll just tell you very boldly, uh, I absolutely believe in uh, our citizens' uh, Second Amendment right being uh, protected, but I also believe in accountability and responsibility. You know, we cannot allow people to have weapons on our streets, especially dangerous weapons that are going to harm, you know, our men, women, and children. You know, that is unacceptable, especially when these type of weapons falls in the hands, people that are suffering tremendously from mental uh, illnesses. We we must get our hands around that, and we must do it very, very quickly. We have mm-hmm. to resource those programs to make sure we're dealing with the issue from the root cause of the issue. I, I fervently believe in that. Yeah, and um, we we do have too many programs out there that are trying to address issues that don't have any real accountability where a lot of money is being wasted on you know, massaging the problem instead of working to eradicate it. So uh, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And uh, it's very important that we, we see clearly that we have to go all the way down to not just looking at some of the impacts, but going all the way to the root and discovering why these things occur. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you and, and your insight 
And, um, you know, there, there's a lot, I think, that's left for you to do. And, um, you know, with this running for office, you know, we, we wish you the best. But, you know, we know that regardless of what happens, this is who you are and this is what you will continue to do. And I just have to, you know, give you a lot of praise and kudos just for who you are as a person and your your total commitment to serving. Well, I'll just tell you, Michael, honestly, you know, I am not a self-significance-driven person. You know, I am a humble servant leader. And, and as I said earlier, this is about serving the taxpayers, the voters, the constituents of Maryland's 4th Congressional District. Maryland's 4th Congressional District in its current form was carved out to ensure that, you know, all communities had representation, you know, black people, Asian people, Latino people, African people, you know, white people, everybody. And I will just tell you, those folks in our community out in Prince George's County and Anne Arundel County, they deserve the best leadership that we have to offer. I will just tell you, Michael, I strongly believe um, because of um, this season, this time that I know that God has prepared me for because of my experience in both national and international um, government and, and, and politics, uh, me as a single uh, father of two beautiful daughters, me as a mentor, as a chief executive uh, in our government uh, running business enterprise, those opportunities those experiences have prepared me for times such as this to lead and create a vision for Maryland's 4th Congressional District where we can see real tangible opportunities in job creation, meeting the needs of industry, creating jobs in cybersecurity, in you know, health care uh, exchange uh, opportunities, in IT, in career technical education programs, Partnering with, you know, state and local and municipal leaders, you know, ensuring that our two county executives have a voice in Washington to help them meet their priorities in delivering good government for our taxpayers. That's what this is really about. It's not about, you know, me or my opponent. Most importantly, it's about the folks in this district. And I'll just tell you, we need greater and much better leadership in Maryland's 4th Congressional District. And I know that I am that passionate servant leader uh, to deliver uh, that level of strategic change, that level of opportunity that our um, voters and our residents, our taxpayers so desperately uh, seek. Well, thank you, Warren Christopher. I, I thank you for coming on, and um, thank you for sharing that with us and uh, giving us a little peek behind the man, behind the campaign. <laughs> and, um, you know, we just look forward to hearing from you again. Um, and hopefully, who knows, in the future, we may be talking to you again as the new congressman. But um, we just look forward to all the work that you're doing and um, will continue to do. And we just thank you. And please let people know where they can find out more information about you as well. Absolutely. Well, I was just telling you, Michael, thank you so very much for this opportunity to share. 
Uh, I really appreciate it. And I would just encourage uh, your listening audience, you know, to please reach out to me. I have, uh, you can easily find me on uh, the web, on uh, the World Wide Web at uh, com. Again, that's warrenchristopherforcongress.com. I have all of my social media links there, uh, my Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, and LinkedIn. You know, I'm excited about uh, leading, you know, a constituency uh, that is that really wants to want to be a part uh, of uh, the benefits of our national capital region. It's a, it's an exciting time in our community, and I really appreciate your listeners, and I really appreciate you, Michael, for affording me this opportunity. And and I I will come back uh, anytime uh, that there's an opportunity uh, to share with your listeners again. All right, Warren. Well, thank you very much, and we will talk with you soon. Okay. Thank you very much, Michael. Have a good evening. And you good too. evening to all of your listeners. Thank you all very much. Today is just another day for most of us, but yesterday, millions of exceptional, brilliant people decided that they were going to do something this day that would change their lives for the better and potentially the lives of hundreds more. Some even awoke with an unheard of sense of determination, focus, and vision, ready to leap forward and make that big change in their lives. In reality, most awoke pretty much the same way as most of us with today's office grind, tasks, checklists, calendars, and chores for the day as their primary concern. Sadly, some forgot yesterday's decision when they awoke, and others were just too afraid to try, and some just too stubborn to change, and many who forgot that tomorrow is not promised did not make it to see the sunrise today. I can't emphasize this enough. There is no time like the present. Whatever you want for your tomorrow, the effort has to start today. Better yet, right now. God has embedded in us a will and life purpose. We may succeed at any number of things, but this is the one thing that we can be assured to be much bigger than ourselves. It is our opportunity to accomplish the amazing touch the lives of a multitude of people, and leave this world that we live in a much better place due to our efforts. Yeah, but first we have to take action. Take bold steps to crush our fear with confidence, destroy our insecurity with intense determination, and implement a decisive plan that will turn obstacles into minor adjustments and defeat into monuments of mistakes that we will never make again all because of the wisdom we obtained that special day. You know what? There is no stopping people who truly care about the lives of others. I would dare say that they are invincible because nothing can destroy the human spirit. Why is it that I feature nonprofits and charities on my show so often? It's not just because that they are awesome and a rare breed of individuals. It's because they selflessly do the work that matters because others won't and just because it's the right thing to do. How huge is that? But they do need your help. They first need you to be informed and aware and I think we've taken care of that. Next, they need you to take action. 
become a part of this solution? Or is today just another day? You already did something great today. You woke up this morning. The question is, who will you be today? Take a close look. Therein lies a measure of truth. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. And again, that is Warren Christopher for Congress.com. Well, we've come to the end of another great show, and thank you for tuning in, and we hope to hear from you again. Well, we hope to see you again next week for our next show. Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman, and also for our new intern, Dante. Well, I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. Mercy, mercy me Things ain't what they used to be, no Things ain't what they used to be We, we, us, that's you and me We have got to be different We can't say the same We have got to enlighten Every member of the game In this game of life There's too much strife There's too much hurt There's too much hate Everyone's perceptions cloud the debate. Right and wrong, wrong and right. Where is our fight? I say, let there be light. Truth first starts the healing of our pain. For us, he was slain. Ain't no time to be lame. It's time to reclaim, rebirth, and rename the game. I came to proclaim through enlightenment. And that's the only reason why I was sent and rest no more. No lies to adorn. We have to teach the kids all the reasons why. We have to teach the kids not to fall but to fly there. Killing each other, incarcerated, following the lie. Mindlessly indoctrinated. Why, oh why could willing to be the reason his ways still pleasing his grave, his legacy still breathing our minds? Think about it, if you will, the process of thinking he did kill as he set up for generation after generation. It's still clear that we haven't recovered. Shackle in the mind, my people, shackle in the mind. 
time for a revolution. You see, I think that a revolution is the only solution to this here pollution of the mind. A revolutionary method to unwash the brain, to cleanse the stain. The revolution is the truth. We must speak the truth and live the truth. A revolutionary method to rid us of corruption, destruction. We can't stop talking about it until our people, our children are thinking about it. Thinking, thinking it all. Thinking it all. Up against the wall, our arms and legs spread tall. Y'all, can't you see the state of mind of the majority are the educated in the African-American community? The majority are the enlightened in the African-American community.